This is Unorthodox, the universe's leading Jewish podcast. I am Stephanie Butnick, and I'm alone in the studio today, but for a cold leftover latke that producer Josh Cross brought in and that I am not even going to heat up. I'm just going to eat it cold for breakfast. This week, our last episode of 2019, our last episode of the decade, and we are bringing you our live show from the Denver JCC recorded last month. It's where I learned about some guy named John Elway, who is apparently kind of important out there. We had three guests in Denver. Sue Salinger, director of the Denver region of Hazon, the environmental organization working to strengthen Jewish life and contribute to a more environmentally sustainable world. She even brought us a zucchini. Our Gentile of the Week is Michael Johnston, a teacher turned politician who served as a Colorado state senator from 2009 to 2017 also claims responsibility for the shidduch between Mark Oppenheimer and his wife, Sid, so we will hear all about that. Finally, we finish with a musical tribute honoring Leonard Cohen's third yard site. Eve Ilson is a storyteller, singer, and rabbinic pastor of the Aleph Alliance for Jewish Renewal. She was ordained by her late husband, Reb Zalman Shachter Shalomi, and she performed one of Leonard Cohen's songs for us on stage in Denver. So earlier that day, we had learned that not far from Denver in Pueblo, Colorado, FBI had thwarted a bomb threat against Temple Emanuel. The community was shaken up, so it was extra meaningful for us to get to be there that night and bring a little bit of levity and Jewish pride. Hello, Denver! This is Unorthodox, the universe's leading Jewish podcast. I'm your host, Mark Oppenheimer, joined today by my co-hosts, Tablet Deputy Editor Stephanie Butnick. Good evening. And Senior Writer Liel Leibowitz. Ahalan wasahalan. And today, here in Denver, we have, oh, superb guests. We are going to speak with our Jew of the Week, Sue Salinger, the director of Hazon in Denver. It's a Jewish lab for sustainability and environmental soundness, and we're excited to hear all about that. And we speak with our Gentile of the Week, a very gentilic Gentile, former Colorado State Senator and repeat candidate for other things, Michael Johnston, uh, who will be our Gentile of the Week. So we're very excited to have these guests. Before we go any further, I should say that we have to recognize there's been some sad news here in Greater Denver today, and I'm sure all of you have heard by now um, about the um, potential bombing that was thwarted by the FBI and the arrest that was announced today. I guess the arrest was a couple days ago, but it was announced Friday. today. It was Friday. Announced today. Um, it's not the first time that that bad news has trailed us on our travels and that we've gone into a space where people came out excited to laugh and uh, be silly and irreverent and sort of free and fun in their Judaism and were uh, had that experience intruded on by the harsh realities of hatred and bigotry. And so, you know, we're not going to dwell on it because, because we Jews laugh as a form of survival and we think that's what we're here for and that's our job. But I guess I just did want to say that uh, we, we stand in solidarity with all of you and it's kind of, a, I hope it, you understand that it's an honor to be here with you on a day when you've gotten such news. Um, it's, it's, it's an honor to, to be with, with fellow Jews and allies at a time when, when people are a little, bit, uh, a little bit shaken. I also feel that it's amazing to be in a space full of people here to celebrate Jewish arts and culture and ideas. This whole festival is really, really amazing, and especially tonight for us to be here with you. It feels really special, and we're really, really just lucky to be here. The last year has been a pretty rough one for us. I think a lot of us after the shooting in Pittsburgh and in Poway sort of felt like we weren't really certain anymore about how American Jewish life goes. We felt like we woke up from some wonderful sunny vacation from history and all of a sudden we were subjected to the sort of violence we only thought happened in, you know, Paris or, or elsewhere. I think there's really only one wrong response to that kind of situation. I think the only wrong response is to define yourself strictly in opposition to those who hate you. I think the right response is to do exactly what we're doing here. Just hang out, do something Jewish, anything. It's read a book, it's listen to a podcast, have friends over for Shabbat dinner, buy a wonderful Jewish encyclopedia, <laughs> have some jokes with Get some people. Get it signed. <laughs> um, you know, and, and it's really, it's a pleasure to be here today of all days. And, and now, Mark. Wait, I need to give a shout out to my, my Colorado fam who's here. The Rothhouses. I know you guys know Grandpa Al if you listen to the podcast. This is Grandpa Al's brother, Barry. Oh, my God. Barry Rothhouse is here. His wife, my great aunt Margie, is here. It's her birthday next week, so this is, like, very fun. This is, like, an early Mazel Tov. We should also... I, wait, I'm not done. Oh, sorry. There's more Rothhouses. I apologize. Yes. My, so, this is funny. So, their kids, <laughs> I always thought they were my second cousins because they're my mom's cousins, but Leslie and Dan, Eric... 
They are my first cousins once removed. I found out today on Facebook. <laughs> it's confusing, It's, it's amazing right? that my mother literally has not listened to a single episode and calls this thing we're doing a food cast. Uh, and yet Stephanie like goes to anywhere in the world and there are like 17 Roth houses yeah. and 12 Butniks who just like come together. But this is really amazing for me. It's so exciting to be here and I, yeah. Thank you guys. I should say that the extended Butnik Rothhaus clan are also super nice to me and Liel. They've sort of right. adopted us. They've in. adopted they, us. They, they, uh, they, they know they we're are, foundlings. Um, right. Like your mother doesn't listen to the podcast. My wife doesn't listen to the podcast. There are 85 Rothhauses who listen to the podcast twice every week. So, right. so thank you for being our podcast. That doesn't our, even get started on the Butniks. Our, that's true. I would say you're probably still married only because Sid doesn't listen to the podcast. It's very freeing, yeah. actually. Like the, no, the I things know. I can say because my family doesn't take my work seriously. It's very liberating. Well, I will say, I will say that whenever I talk to Grandpa Al, he's like, you know, I don't really need to call you because I just hear everything about your life on this on the, on the program on the program <laughs> but also our boss Wayne Hoffman who you've heard on the podcast he talked about Barbara Streisand he's talked about a bunch of stuff his sister Stacy Hoffman is here we're Stacy Hoffman and Victor o- Ozils hi Stacy we're very excited to meet you that's terrific <laughs> it's tonight's night of Hoffmania Sue Salinger is the director of the Denver region of Hazon, the Jewish Lab for Sustainability, and she brought us some produce tonight. Sue, welcome. Come on up. Hi, Sue. Hi, how are you guys? We're great. Thank you for the zucchini, which we will get to. But will you tell us a little bit about Hazone and the work it does? And the work sure. Hazone is a national organization that, as mentioned, is the Jewish Lab for Sustainability. In Colorado, this is our ninth year, and we have been around almost 20 years. We are, have our main offices in New York. We're in Connecticut at the Isabella Friedman Retreat Center, and we're in Detroit as well. And what we do is different every place that we are. We're brought in by funding communities that are responsive to the needs in communities. We, we know we're in a climate crisis, and we know that Jewish tradition compels us to respond to it. And we are working so hard to try to engage people to really take some action on climate work right now. Here in Denver, what we're doing is we re-grant to synagogues and Jewish organizations who take on climate change issues, mostly around food and mostly around growing food. So we've given away money to almost every congregation that has a garden or a kid's garden. We support Ikar Farm at Lowry, which is a Jewish-inspired farm. We had 3,000 kids out this summer. And we want to uh, create a year of environmental tshuva. We really are looking to have this next year be when the Denver Jewish community and Jewish communities across the country really take action on climate change. For a religion that is so heavily rooted in farming, I mean, so many of our sacred texts are about the land and working the land. I, I think we kind of forgotten a little bit about the tradition. What can we do to kind of reroute ourselves in, in these I'm so glad you origins? asked. We have the best tradition, really, the Jewish tradition. At a certain point, you won't, you won't be able not to see it in either the liturgy when you go to shul or in the holidays when you celebrate them. Our Torah, Reb Zalman, uh, Shachter Shalomi of Blessed Memory, taught this as well as Arthur Was- Rabbi Arthur Waskow. Uh, at the Shalom Center, we are the Adam, we're Adam. The earth is Adama. In the Hebrew itself, it says that we are of the earth and made of the earth. We're part of the earth walking around. So when we think about Jewishly, who are we and what do we do? We're the brains of the earth. We have a particular ability to walk around and be part of the earth and really raise the earth to some kind of consciousness. You know, we are the consciousness of the earth. You're looking at the food. It's like what William Burge said about naked lunch. You, you don't really know what's on the end of your fork. You know, if you say a blessing over bread, the blessing can be translated as thanks source of life for creating the world in such a way that food comes from the earth. All of a sudden you're entangled with the earth. You can't wreck the earth. And, and that starts to lead to questions like, well, what am I doing at Sukkot? And what am I doing at Passover? And what am I doing at Tu Bishvat? And what's happening in the dead of winter when I'm lighting candles? And how come in the heat of summer I'm lighting a bonfire? 
Our tradition is uh, an indigenous tradition, and the Torah really seems to be a record of that, of really this shift into being a just agricultural society. But the other thing that really, for me, really shifted my relationship after I studied with uh, some of the Jewish Renewal Movement folks here in Boulder, Colorado, and started to really do some of these practices, just little tiny practices, everything changed. What are some of those practices? So you wake up in the morning and you say, I'm back in my body and I'm awake. And oh my gosh, if my body didn't have all these twists and turns, if I couldn't let the world come through me when I eliminate what's not necessary for me, I couldn't stand and praise. So if you even said that in the morning, if you said a blessing over your food, we have many, many blessings over food. You know, it's bread comes from the earth, and the word for bread, lechem, is food. But also it's this one, this one came from a tree, and this one came from a plant. Mm -hmm. One zucchini plant, 200 pounds of zucchini, one seed, anyway. But the calendar year, you know, our holidays are all agricultural holidays. Are you finding that, so one of the jokes that we have around the office is that, like, you can break Jews into three or four categories, right? You've got book Jews, money Jews, sports Jews. Street Jews. Street Jews. Earth Jews. And mountain, we call them mountain Jews at the tablet office, right? And, you know, it's... Yeah, Mountain Jew. Yeah, Mountain Jew. And, and it's kind of like, and I say this all <laughs> this I, good... Am I a cliche? Oh, I am. We're all cliches. Oh, no. Oh, no. We're, all, we're all cliches. That's okay. And I say this with, like, all sorts of love as I start... I mean, he's wearing a bow tie. Come on. But, we're good. Yeah. As I sort of reduce he's everything the to a, ste Jew. a stereotype... <laughs> the Bosby Jew. <laughs> but... You are super credentialed and you super yichus in this sort of hippie renewal Jewish spirit, right? You I mean, yeah. having studied with Reb Salman and Arthur Waskow and people like that. And for those who don't know it, like these are major figures in um, what they call Jewish renewal, which I don't even know how to, I know it when I see it, but I don't even know how to define it. But we'll talk about it later tonight. Well, yeah. We'll talk about it later tonight. Talk later tonight. But here's my question. Jews can be so segmented and so bad at talking to each other. Are you finding that the environmentalist uh, and renewal infused sensibility that you're talking about is getting more of an audience with like suburban money Jew Joe Schmo. Like, are you having yeah, some success yeah, at talking to that person? Yeah. And I, and I think partly it's because we're all completely terrified and just in denial of what's going on in the world around us with climate change. So everyone wants to do something. And if we can say, hey, it's in your tradition, it's in our tradition that we can take care of this by paying attention to the food we eat and where it comes from, we have them. So we all, Hazon, Hazon uses food as a way in. We have food festivals all across the country. Uh, Detroit had 6,500 people at their food festival each of the last three years. Here in Denver, we have about 900 that show up. So if we bring people together over what is part of how we sell, I mean, if you don't do anything, you have a Passover Seder. Mm -hmm. And if you have a Passover Seder, you have a story that's really a story about drought, right? How did we get down to Egypt? Why did we leave the land that we were on? We're climate migrants. So our whole, it's embedded in our whole tradition. How do you fight convenience? Because I really find it to be like the great devil sitting on everyone's shoulder because you want to be good. You want to go full organic, you know, non-NGO zucchini. And yet there's a device in my pocket right now that could get me a Domino's pizza in like 15 minutes. It yeah. Did the, it did the other night. We're, we're not trying to fight anything. What we're trying to do is say, you want to make a difference? Are you worried about what's happening? Do you have kids or grandkids? Um, what's going to happen in the next 20 years? There is something you can do. You don't have to do everything. There's no eco-kosh route that's kosher enough. You know, there is no, you can't really should parse be, everything. Should be, should be kind of like amend or have a consciousness that says it's not just about the ritual slaughtering and the blessing, but also about the environmental sustainability? Yeah, eco-kashrut has been around for, you know, quite a, a while now, and it's this idea that if we're thinking about what's fit to eat, we're going to think about, is it fit to eat? The example that Reb Zalman always used was, if there's a nuclear plant that's powering what you're working on, um, here we might say, if you're using fracking water on your plants, is that kosher? Um, and we would say, nope. I mean, we'd want to say no. Um, but everyone's going to has to make their own decisions on what to do. It might not be for you. You might need that convenience for your food right now. But you might be able to make a different choice on something else. So can you tell us, you know, Mark mentioned that, well, I do find that taxonomy problematic and a little bit offensive. I do want to talk about the community here because, you know, as you mentioned, the renewal movement is here. Can you, I know people in this room might be familiar, but, you know, from, for our listeners more broadly, could you tell us about the renewal movement um, as you know it, and why here, why it took root here. So I, you know, this is my take on it. So um, apologies to any teachers in the room who may have other things to say Different about takes, it. Yeah. Different takes on it. You know, Boulder's a really special place. You know, there's a curse in Boulder, Niwat's curse. Niwat's one of the chiefs 
that I have no idea if this actually is a real thing, but you guys might know, um, that says, you, you know, you can, you can leave, but you're going to be back. It's just a place where the ocean floor picked up and turned into beautiful mountains. And so there is, um, I don't really want to sound too woo here, but um, there is really something that's happened historically. In, I mean, Naropa Institute is there. Trungpa Rinpoche was there and started the first Buddhist-inspired school. And many, many Jewish people are part, uh, are participate in the Buddhist stuff. There's a Swami that's been up there for a long time. There's been experimental religious communities during sort of the 80s and 90s when there was really a, maybe earlier even, really a, it's, it was an, it's a beautiful experimental place. So renewal was here, but mostly I think, you know, Reb Zalman got brought out here and was here for a long time. He was World Wisdom Chair at Naropa, and I think because he was here, it's it right out say, here. By the way, the job of, of holding the Wisdom Chair at a university has always appealed to me. I really, really I would love to go be, for it. I would love to be hired as like the chair in, in, in wisdom. Do you, you're sitting on it right now. Um, this is the wisdom chair, baby. It's the, the John Elway wisdom chair. <laughs> and so before we let you go, I'm wondering if you could leave us with just one parting word. I mean, you, you spoke very beautifully and movingly about the prayers and, you know, I, I share that sentiment. Uh, but one kind of concrete thing that we could do, if you could say like, okay, just stop doing X, this very, very small thing. Start here. That you could totally, all of us here, implement. Yeah, I would say w the one thing you could implement is you could stop down for Shabbat. It, you don't have to be ritual, ritualistic about it, but you could take the Jewish notion of sacred time that we have and say we, we're not supposed to be on 24-7. We're not on clock time all the time. We need to be on being time. And if you can just do that, we have a shot. I was going to say, like, what you were saying about how Judaism and Torah is so infused with these rules that are inherently environmental, the fact that in traditional Judaism everyone has to live near each other because they have to be together for Shabbat and they have to be able to walk and, they, you know, they can't take their horses or their cars, it was much more environmental. I mean, Judaism, if you're doing it traditionally, doesn't allow for sort of suburban sprawl. Right. So if Shabbat's not going to be what you can do is stop down for a day, I'd say really take a look at eating less meat. You know, eat less meat or make sure that the meat is grass fed and you know where it's from. I know a Catholic theologian who says if we would just go back to Meatless Fridays so much like they didn't know when they got rid of Meatless Fridays what they were doing to the world, adding a seventh more meat to Catholics diets on that day. And mm -hmm. as someone who dearly loves both his phone and his meat, I could report that I have uh, taken up both these wisdoms and I put the phone away now for Shabbat. Uh, this is a digital free Shabbat. And um, I eat much less meat than I... These I people are this. saving the world right now. <laughs> it is, it is yeah. happier. <laughs> if people want to know more about Hazon and the work you do, how can they find out? In Denver, uh, just go to our Facebook page, Hazon Denver. Uh, nationally, go to hazon.org and uh, check out what we have on offer. Sue Salinger, thank you for being our Jew of the Week. Thank, thank you, you so much. Michael Johnston is an American educator and politician who served as the Colorado State Senator from the 33rd District from 2009 to 2017. He's run for lots of stuff. Michael Johnston, come on up. <laughs> Contestant number two. Contestant number two. Hi, Mike. It's not often that we get to talk with a zucchini between the two of us, Mark. <laughs> Let's bring least, you back to college, basically. <laughs> it's been at least it's college, right? It was That's like true. circa 95. There was that, <laughs> the night of the zucchini. We won't go any further. You promised me you wouldn't bring that up on this, on this broadcast. Before we go any further, we should, we should get some history straight. You were there the night that I met Sid, right? Yes, I was. I claim responsibility for that. <laughs> what, in your version, does, how are you responsible for my marriage? <laughs> she was wonderful and brilliant and charismatic, and um, you were single. And I was like, hmm. And I don't you were know standing if, right there by the punch ball. So, uh, I don't know if I want to do this to Sid, but I think he's probably okay, a good enough listen. guy. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't, like, she'll never know. Yeah. So I had a party and I invited... When is this? This is in college? You no, know, this is grad school. Sid was in law school. I was in grad school for religious studies. This was the fall of 2002. So you were in law school. Yes. So, and you knew Sid from law school. Yeah. And I basically invited lots of single women and you. Because <laughs> I was totally safe. Yeah, you were totally safe. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't worried. 
<laughs> and did she did she like ask you what do you know about this Mark guy or like didn't you wasn't there some wingman? She did. did. In fact, in advance of the party, we discussed it, and uh-huh. she was like, "What is this deal with this random party? I'm being invited to by this random guy." And I said, "Actually, he's not so scary. He's actually quite quite a thoughtful guy. You should come. And I promise, if it gets too bad, I will help you get out." Uh, and it went fine. <laughs> yeah, some friend you stands. are. <laughs> Five kids later, you still haven't delivered on that promise. And it should be said that Sid, who hates parties and is the world's biggest introvert. It never occurred to me until just now, but she probably wouldn't have come if somebody, I mean, I think her roommate Kim, who'd liked parties, was like, come on, let's go. But if you, if somebody who knew me hadn't spoken up for me, there really is a, I'm not, I'm being totally serious here. There's a pretty strong chance. If anyone knows Sid knows, she will always find a reason to bail on a party. Yes. She, we, she needed multiple proxies to attest that it was going to be fun. And as I remember, I mean, I, she was still there when I left. So she, she stayed well past what she needed to do. Yeah. So Michael, it's called a shidduch and three of them gets you into heaven, right? Isn't that how it works? <laughs> have you made others? Yeah, have you made other matches? the way there. So, can, so um, else before, have? before we go any further, I'm, I'm really interested. So you're here from, from Colorado, right? You're from, from Vail. I am. Uh, and, and you get to this here in New Haven, Connecticut, and, and you meet people who look and talk and think like us. Uh, what, what is your impression of Northeasterners, by which I mean to say Jews? <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, one of the stats I learned was that, you know, when I got to Yale as a freshman, there were more students in my class from Andover High School than there were from the entire state of Colorado. So there's a... It is a By there's a, a lot, re- I think. There's a relative yeah. awakening, yeah, yeah, to the underrepresentation of the West. Uh, so I'd say it was more of the uh, Grayson Armstrongs, is that, was that his name? There was a number of those to get used to <laughs> on the East Coast as well. Brother. Yeah, that's true. But uh, no, I, I actually, that, that was what made me love wanting to go to the East Coast. But did you always want to come home? I mean, was the plan always to come back to Colorado? Uh, it was not, but I, I've traveled to enough other parts of the world that I realized that probably was a mistake. And I married a woman who did not necessarily love the Northeast. She's Southern. And so the West was like a compromise between the Northeast and Tennessee. And so we ended up in Colorado. All right. So let's just get, get this out of the way. Let's talk about your political campaigns. Yes. You are the most cock-blocked candidate in the world. <laughs> Is that a political term? That's a political term. You didn't say it. I Coined said it. by John Elway, by the way. Right. Little known fact. Enter zucchini. That's right. It's a political slash fraternity term. You were running a very strong campaign for governor when a billionaire decided to enter the race fairly late and run for governor. You were running a very strong race for senator when a Hickenlooper decided to run for Senate. Um, is this frustrating? The, uh, I think I had a, a mentor that said once, you know, you never learn much from your victories. It's all your losses. Uh, we call that a mensch in my tradition. Uh, yes. um, uh, and so... Uh, uh, I, did, I did tell you I was Abe Goldman before I changed my name, right? I didn't, I, I didn't know if that was recovered. Johnston. Uh, but, you know, so I just figured if I just kept racking up as many of those losses as possible, I would get wise enough to eventually make it to be Gentile of the Week. That's and, it. Here you and are. I did. This is where it all... Yes. <laughs> this is where it ends. Like, <laughs> this, is, this is... I'm just wondering if there's a badge of some sort I get to carry outside of the room afterwards, because that would be helpful. I feel like... It's a pretty so big title I feel like in Colorado. It's like a pocket square. Yeah, that would be good. I feel like <laughs> when, when we like think about political careers, uh, we usually think kind of like you know the American president or the West Wing. It's sort of like all idealistic and very exciting, like almost like sport. But I imagine like a lot of your day is actually spent calling people and asking for either votes or money or both. That that was true. Um, it was funny when you say that because my for those of you that are watch The Office, my wife, uh, who you, when you meet her, you'll understand why. Whenever I would we'd go somewhere, and someone would say, "Oh, hello, Senator Johnson. If you ever watched The Office, you remember." Angela dated right. the guy who was the state senator. <laughs> Whenever she'd say, oh, well, I have to go to an event with the senator. And Oscar would always say, I'm state senator. Whenever <laughs> <laughs> someone ever called me senator, she would say, I'm state senator, <laughs> to be clear. Like, just up from dog catcher. Uh. But, but, I mean, you were state senator for quite a while. And I know that you have some beliefs about things that America could learn from Colorado. And I'm, I'm really interested. I mean, and that's true wherever I go. I mean, I did a great, a great magazine piece once. or I, It was great for me. I won't say it was a great piece. It was exciting for me to go to Alaska. And you, you, we have a mutual friend who's, who's been active in politics up there. And just you learn, they do things different. Every state has something that the rest of the country could learn from. You know, this is only my third time in Colorado ever and my first time in Denver. What is it that Colorado has to teach America? It's not necessarily marijuana, which is normally the first question I get anytime. Um, But I do think one, actually, the, the big idea that I think Colorado has to offer is, and you look at one of the things that make federal government at such an impasse, it is that you never get to allow the pressures of politics to work, which is there is a vote on a big issue. People can apply pressure, they engage, and it works. Right? The one moment that happened in the last five or six years was, was the Kavanaugh uh, confirmation, because people knew that was not a vote you could table, you could walk away from, you could hide. So Colorado has a very simple rule called the gavel rule, which is every senator or representative in Colorado only gets to introduce five bills 
five total in an entire session. But the law requires that every one of those five bills has to have a public hearing and has to have a public vote. So you can, as a U.S. senator, and I have friends who have done this, you can introduce hundreds of bills and host hundreds of press conferences. None of those bills will ever get voted on, which means there's no chance to actually raise an issue, bring it to the forefront, allow public to come testify and for and against. Colorado, by just simply requiring a daylight provision on every single proposal, means it flattens out the leadership structure. Any first-term senator can offer any controversial bill and has to get voted on. And it means you can't pocket veto things. You can't, as a committee chairwoman, say, of that cute idea, I'll put it in the drawer and you'll never see it again. So I think that's one simple thing if you did it in the U.S. Senate. Uh, you would actually get hard votes people would have to cast, which neither party wants to do, but you would get actually politics people would want to be engaged in. So you sound very hopeful. The last two years, have they changed your kind of thinking about the, your future? <laughs> Are you like, maybe it's time to go into tech or something? What, what do you mean? More? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, no, they, um, I mean, certainly, they, it is one of those moments where you feel like you have to get prepared to watch the television every morning or, or check your phone. Um, but actually, I think there are sometimes it is a balm on the soul, actually, sometimes to campaign because it means I spend a lot of time in coffee shops with seven people in tiny, very, very conservative counties in Colorado. And I always describe it, it feels like that moment when you're in a relationship where you're in an argument and you don't quite know how to get out of it. Like you're not sure you want to be the one to say sorry or they want to, but it both feels like the way my Thanksgiving dinner table feels in our family, which is there are plenty of Trump voters in my family. Uh, and you both, there is that massive divide between you and you wish there was some way to get it back. Uh, and so I think uh, I, I am actually quite hopeful still that in a place like Colorado, we're still, this is still quite a pragmatic place. People like to solve problems here. Uh, and so I think Trump is so disliked in Colorado, not just because of his politics, but there's actually an approach to politics that is viscerally antithetical, I think, to what this state is built on. And so I think either one of the reasons why he will lose by 20 points, I think, here is because people, uh, yes, um, <laughs> because people like you will vote, first of all. Um, and because they deeply reject the way that he has led in addition to what he's actually trying to lead I, on. You saying, you talking about meeting people, I mean, some, one of the really nice things about what we're doing right now is we're on a book tour. We get to go to all these communities and meet people and actually learn about the specifics and the issues of each Jewish community around the world. And I always, I have my folder and every time we do our signing, I, people give me ideas and I scribble them down and I say like, one of them said West Point Jewish Choir. And that's like a thing that I will then look into because someone told me about that. I mean, I'm curious what you're hearing from people on the ground um, across Colorado that you want sort of people to know about more broadly. Well, I'll give you a quick story of Is hope. Is it the West Point was, Choir? Uh, you know, I did go see them. No, I have, I'm not seeing the West Point Choir. <laughs> it's the Air choir. Force Choir, right? <laughs> there is an Air Force Choir. I don't know if there's a Jewish Air, Air Force, Force Jewish Choir. Air Force Jewish Choir, yeah. Yeah, we'll have to yeah. check into that. But I, uh, this is probably, this confirms my status of Gentile of the Week. Uh, I was riding on a harvesting combine in eastern Colorado. Um, <laughs> and uh, to my lack of credit, most of it's computerized at this point, so I could not mess it up that badly. But talking to the guy who runs said farm and harvesting combine, and for the first 20 minutes of the conversation, it's how could you as a former Catholic possibly be a Democrat, and how could you support abortion and all he the rest. He was asking you. He was you, asking me all these things. All the rest of the things that you would assume you'd have in that conversation. Then after I survived about 10 minutes, he said, yeah, I told him where he lived downtown Denver. He says, oh, yeah, I know exactly what that is. Golden Triangle, which for people who know it, it's a sort of highest crime center in Denver. And he said, every year in the fall when I was a kid, my dad used to put me in the truck and we'd leave our farm and drive into downtown Denver. And we would pick up 10 or 12 homeless addicts off of the Golden Triangle and put them in the back of our truck and bring them back to the farm. And they would live in our house. My dad would try to get them back on their feet. And he said, a couple of them would leave, but most of them would stay. That is the craziest liberal idea I've ever heard of in my life. Like, you would never find a Denver, someone from Denver who would do that. <laughs> and at the same time, he was sort of deeply conservative on social issues. He had certain practices and sense of community that actually were radically liberal about this notion of what sort of risks do you take for your fellow people. Um, so I find you get those kind of stories a lot, which make you think, okay, this may actually not be as quite as impossible as it feels when you watch mm -hmm. someone's Twitter feed. Amen. You were um, a public school teacher and then a principal. Yes. And at what point did you decide? I mean, why did you decide to leave that? Because that was a real calling for you. I mean, you founded a school and you, you first you taught in Mississippi and you came back and you founded a school and you're a principal. And I bet you were pretty good at it. And then you decided, <laughs> I don't know about that. you know, why did you leave education? Why did you go into it? Why did you leave? I figured if I could successfully survive being cursed out by adolescents, I could survive getting cursed out by adults. It was like the next, <laughs> it was the next step up. Um, no, actually, it was, it's a very, it's a very um, one of the pivotal moments of my life. I, had, I was running the school, the third school I was the principal of in, in, up in North Denver, and we had succeeded in taking the school that had a 50% dropout rate and turning it around into what became the first public high school in Colorado history where 100% of our seniors all graduated. 
And, uh, um, thank you. Um, and the best part, and, and 100% of those seniors were all admitted to four-year colleges, uh, which was a first. Um, and that was, that was a great success for like three days um, because about three days later, I'm standing in the cafeteria and one of my kids comes up to me with tears running down his face and says, you know, Mr. Johnston, why did you make me do this? I said, what do you mean? He, he said, I got into college and you know I'll never be able to go. So why do you say that? He said, oh, Mr. Johnston, I never told you this before, but, but I'm undocumented. And today in the state Senate, the bill just died that would have allowed undocumented kids to go to college at the same in-state tuition rate. So now my best friend and I, since the second grade, have wanted to go to the University of Colorado. We're both in. He's going to go and spend four or $5,000 a year. If I want to go, I'm going to spend $40,000 a year with no financial aid. And you know my mom, Mr. Johnson. We don't make that much money in a year. And I did not know he was undocumented. I did not know there was a bill in the state Senate. I just suddenly knew that about half of the kids who were going to step on a stage and pick up a diploma from my school uh, had no place to go. And so that was the day I decided to run for the state Senate. And I committed to those kids. We would do whatever it took to solve that problem. Um, and I got in the first year and failed, like most teachers, on your first try. Uh, and then after second and third try, we finally were able uh, to pass it. Um, and I got to drive back up to my old high school and see my former class of seventh graders, who are now seniors, finally get onto a stage like this, pick up a diploma, hug their mom, and know that they had someplace to go. Mm -hmm. So you've learned a lot in your career, but you haven't learned everything. There may be things about Jews you don't know. Many. And we're well, lucky for you. <laughs> we've assembled a lot of Jewish wisdom in this room and three Gentiles. And who may actually know more about Judaism than most of the Jews in this room. That's often the case. But we always invite the Gentile of the week to come with a question about anything Jewish. And we, it is a safe space. You won't be judged. Do you have a question for us? I have many, but I will just get to choose one. Um, I want to, so I was... That's not very Jewish <laughs> at all. <laughs> it's, in, it's in 17 parts. There we go. But it, but it is just one question. If you have a comment, then a question, that would be Jewish. <laughs> That's true. Um, so I was raised Catholic, um, and one of the things I find so different about the Jewish tradition is it is a tradition in which you can both be deeply faithful and deeply intellectually curious at the same time. Um, that is not often the experience as a Catholic. If you ask a lot of questions when you're seven or 10 or 12, I can tell you it doesn't always go well. So, uh, so I would just be curious, how do you believe that, that, that your faith has managed to sustain a culture that is both deeply rooted in faith and yet unafraid of asking very hard questions about science or history? Can I go first? Yeah. I think, I think we really had no choice. You know, so here we are, uh, we, we read every year, in the Passover Seder, there's this bit about these four rabbis sitting there, five rabbis sitting there and talking, and everyone sort of like blows through it because it's just before the food and no one has any patience. <laughs> but what these guys are actually talking about, they're sitting there as the temple in Jerusalem is burning, right? This whole religion was set up in order to be kind of like a temple-based religion and people would go three times a year and they would sacrifice rams and bulls and everything. Um, and all of a sudden, there's no more temple. And all of a sudden, people are in exile and diaspora. And they're asking themselves, I think, the same question every community asked itself. It's like, how, how do we continue this? How do, how do we sort of sustain the tradition? And their answer was pretty radical. The answer is, we'll take it all and we'll put it in a book. Which then opens up another question. Okay, well, how would this book look like? Because if we just write, these are the rules, we're not stupid. We understand that things change, right? Someone will invent new technology. Someone will invent new ways of living. And these rules will seem kind of silly and antiquated, and then people will start dropping them one by one, and it won't be the same thing. And so instead of giving us rules, they give us thousands and thousands of pages of arguments. Uh, and what we're supposed to do is follow their example. What we're supposed to do is say, well, nothing is settled. Everything is up for discussion. And I will jump onto that. I didn't interrupt. I waited for you to finish. This is yeah, like what's going very on? civilized. Is it because you're tired yeah, because like, of the flights? <laughs> no, no, no. I just want to. I want to learn something from our, our guests here. <laughs> um, politeness. Um, but you know, I think the interesting thing is one complements the other, right? The idea of asking questions that I think for a lot of people, no matter what their Jewish practice is, that enriches it, right? Like. I don't understand how a God can exist and this can happen. I'm going to wrestle with that and then figure out what my Judaism looks like based on those questions I have. Or, you know, I, I don't understand this one particular ritual. I'm going to try to learn more about it so that I can figure out if it fits into my life, how it makes sense, or if it doesn't. So I think there's a way in which it, it goes both ways. The religion lends itself to questioning and the questioning lends itself to a stronger 
hopefully practice. Although sometimes like. we do wish we had a pope. Like <laughs> Mandy Patinkin would make an amazing pope. Yeah. Just saying. I watched a Mandy Patinkin movie on the plane, and right. I agree with that. Pope Inigo Montoya the first. Is that, <laughs> that's what you're I have nothing to add to what my brilliant colleagues have just said. I think they've given me a lot of food for thought. Hopefully you too. You are dismissed once you tell us your prediction for the Democratic field in 2020. And where you got your cowboy boots. And where you got your cowboy boots. Um, I got these at FM Light and Sons, which if you go to Steamboat, yeah, it is the oldest Old West shop in Colorado. It's uh, it's, If you're for 100 miles, you'll see signs that are 100 years old telling you how many miles you are away from them. Um, That was the hard question. Now the easy question, please. Easy question. Who my pick is or Both. who, who, who I are you going to pick and who do you and, and who do you think is going to get it? And just general insights. Yeah. Um, I do not have a pick. I actually like all of them for the most part. Um, my, I, my if I had to bet right now, I think the nominee is Elizabeth Warren. Um, and I think you know, you're welcome to clap on that. And I think there's some merit. I think she's run the best campaign. I mean, I think she's run an incredible campaign and she's answered people's questions about her. And people that say, you know, I think she would do well in Colorado. I, I you know this will be a, a something of a swing state still. Um, I think there's a lot of time left and who knows what could happen. But I think that almost every candidate in the Democratic field carries Colorado. Uh, and so I'm not worried about that electability question. I think it's who do you think inspires you to want to be able to get up and be active again. Uh, and so I feel very good about We've done our work in Colorado. We're going to carry it heavily. Uh, I think there's a lot of the Midwest that's going to be a tougher question, but I feel good about any of their possibilities in, to win in Colorado. And by the way, Colorado also, one of the reasons why you should be delighted to be here, you know, Colorado, which you may not think of as one of the Jewish epicenters of the country, we have now a Jewish governor a Jewish Secretary of State, and a Jewish Attorney General. So three of our five statewide offices are currently. As somebody said to me today at lunch, the Jews hold all the offices except Treasurer. No, I, I will say Dave Young. I do think my, has a wait, grandmother, or I think there. I used no, to. I think Dave Young. No, no. Dave Young does make a claim, so I would not discard that. Hold yet. on, my, could be a name change. My <laughs> my first cousin once removed Eric Rothhaus is deputy treasurer of the state of Colorado. Am I right? So he is representing us as Jews. (laughs) The power beyond the throne. Michael Johnston. Oh, sorry. Were you going to say something? No, no. Thank you for being our gentile. I was delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. I should say that I invited two women I knew of to that party. One I knew and one was a wild card. The, the wild card ended up marrying me. It was Sid, whom I'd heard nice things about from a friend of a friend. The other woman who came married a billionaire. Literally. That, like, that was the fate of the two people. who the, <laughs> You get me or you get the billionaire. I like that you're like hedging your bets. Inviting like <laughs> several potential. I don't know. Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamou, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. Hey, J. Crew! it is time for some pod biz. Tonight, May 16th, I will be moderating a Zoom conversation with Rabbi Sharon Brous and Shai Held about each of their new books. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern and the final event in my Unpacking the Book series with the Jewish Book Council and the Jewish Museum. This one's on Zoom, so no matter where you are, I hope you can make it. And tonight is actually a doubleheader for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. 
You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive. We also have some great events coming up for Tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolf. That'll be at Char Bar at 6 p.m. You can become a Tablet member at tabletm.ag slash UO member and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. We hope you're having fun listening to the Denver Live Show. We certainly had fun recording it. It was a wonderful city. We had great hosts. I got to eat at Rosenberg's Deli, which is uh, one of the many restaurants uh, helping keep the Jewish food scene alive across the country. And I thought that I would drop into the middle of your episode with some mail. Look, it's amazing for me to think about this. But when we started the show, we weren't initially getting many letters. I don't even know if we gave the email address of our mailbox at the beginning. We, we must have because slowly we started to get a letter here and there. And some of you remember that the first time we did listener mail, we hired some actors to do a special episode in which they read the listener mail in the voices that they imagined the listeners had. It was a fun episode, but it quickly became the case that we were getting a lot of mail and we couldn't always outsource the reading of it. And so we were going to read it. And now it's never so few that we feel neglected, but it's never so many that we can't read them all. And the mailbox has become a great source of pleasure. We really do read everything. We talk about your letters with each other. We discuss which ones to use. We try to write back when we can. If you've written to us or called our listener line and gotten left out in the cold, haven't gotten any response, please know that it's often just because you said something that we agree with so profoundly that there was nothing even to talk about, or just because it was a week when there was a lot of mail, or we read your letter, but then we ended up cutting it because the interviews ran long or we had other stuff to do. So please keep trying. Keep us in your epistolary hearts and write to us and also call us. Look, I wanted to throw in some more letters for your year-end present. This is a bonus present. Consider this the ninth night of Hanukkah present. Dear Unorthodox, I was reading your article about what to do with mezuzahs when you move out of a house, but as a non-Jewish person, I'm not sure what to do when you move into a house with mezuzahs. I've recently moved into a house with mezuzahs on the doors. We are planning on renovating the house, so everything's getting taken down, the wood, the plaster. I don't want the mezuzahs to get damaged in the refurbishment and would like to know how to move them respectfully. We contacted our local synagogue but haven't had any response. Are you able to provide any advice? Thanks in advance. T. Well, T, thank you. Thank you for being such a sensitive Gentile ally and not wanting to damage uh, mezuzot. Uh, there was an article in the New York Times a number of years ago about Gentiles who move into apartments in New York where Jews had lived and they find the mezuzahs and they leave them there because they think of them as these sacred spiritual protective amulets. And so that's a nice thing. But I understand you're renovating and you don't want to leave them there and your local synagogue hasn't gotten back to you. So I'm going to put this question to the J Crew, uh, which includes many learned people, many rabbis, Jewish educators, learned lay people, and say, what should our friend T do with the mezuzahs, with the mezuzot, as they'd say in Hebrew? Should she or he send them somewhere? give them a, a proper burial? I, I don't know. I don't know. I know. I'm sure there's an easy answer for this. I'm sure Google would tell me, but I would rather put it to our friends. Okay. Hi, Unorthodox. I'm a huge fan of the podcast. Just ask any one of my friends the day after you release a new episode. I don't shut up about it. I am 16 years old and from the Chicagoland area. I'm a competitive figure skater, a Jew, and granddaughter to two Holocaust survivors. Through my years of competitive skating, I've seen many programs, good and bad. When a German Gentile was skating to Fiddler on the Roof, my coach made a point to tell me, I didn't have as much a problem with this as I do with the Schindler's List music. I feel that it is inappropriate and uses emotion and sympathy to gain points. And as we heard on your podcast, your costume has to match your program, which adds another layer. Of course, the easy choice is to wear red or stripes, or as we see in this case, SS uniforms. I think it's inappropriate. And for me, it makes the purpose of the Holocaust lessen. Now, I don't know what the purpose of the Shoah is. Nobody does. But I feel that skating to this music sheds a negative light on such a horrible event. I'm not here to tell you I've never laughed at a Holocaust joke because I have. That's the only way to process such a horribly tragic event. However, skating to this music in stripes or at all is inappropriate. 
Regardless, thank you so much for all the podcast does. I recently purchased the newest Jewish encyclopedia and couldn't stop laughing. It is so relatable. Keep doing what you're doing. And thank you, Kaylee Zavaduk. P.S. Come back to Chicago. I was away at camp when you came. Kaylee, we love you. You are the listener of 5780 so far. A Merry Hanukkah to you. We wish you latkes and applesauce and trina and hummus and presents and love and Jewish pride, which it seems we don't have to wish you because you have it in abundance. Thank you for writing and thank you for being part of the J Crew. Friends in the J Crew, or as some of you are now calling it, the J Coup, because of course we are perpetrating a coup against the world, according to the anti Semites. Write to us, unorthodoxatabletmag.com, or call us, 914-570-4869. We love hearing from you. I say to you, hazak, hazak, venit hazek, keep going from strength to strength. Be strong in secular year 2020, and we will be in your earbuds again soon. have a special, special guest tonight, Liel. That we sure do. Unannounced. Um, I belong to a renewal community in New York, that stream of Judaism you've heard a lot about and are about to hear more about tonight. So it is my great pleasure to invite to the stage Eve Elson, who is a storyteller, a singer, a psychotherapist uh, who was ordained as a rabbinic pastor of the Aleph Alliance for Jewish Renewal by her late husband, the great Reb Zalman Shechter Shlomi. Eve, please join us on stage. I like that hushed wow of the crowd. <laughs> Hello. This was unexpected. <laughs> We've heard a lot tonight about Jewish renewal, of which you're a, a central figure. What, what is this Jewish renewal, anyway? I'm not a central figure. My late husband, Reb Zalman Shachter Shalomi, was the central figure. Okay, how would I say, what is Jewish renewal? For me, it was the core of what you wish religion would do for you. It's a possibility here. Not only that, it's a likelihood. And my first introduction was when I was in my 20s and I was a grad student in the Bay Area. And my adoptive father, who was a conservative rabbi, said, keep your eye out for anything Zalman that You'd like that stuff. And he was leading high holiday services at the American Baptist Seminary with the Aquarian Minion. What's not to like? (laughs) So that was my first experience with that. And so you walk into this Minion, and and what do you see that strikes you as completely unlike anything else you've experienced in Judaism to that point? Oh, there was lots of stuff, but I'll tell you the real goody. The real goody was the second year that I was back for high holiday services, at the American Baptist Seminary with all the Farflungene Jews. <laughs> and it was that time late afternoon, around four-ish in the afternoon, when everybody is getting sleepy or cranky from fasting. Now, in some normal shuls, you could also be getting sleepy and cranky from boredom, but not this one, not this one. But there we all were, and suddenly I see The rabbi, Reb Zalman's eyes light up, and he's looking out these windows where the wide steps are down to the yard. And he says, Oi, Kendalach, you're about to have a wonderful treat. And this was unexpected. And I look, and there's this tall, gorgeous woman in a long, black, embroidered Palestinian dress and long, black hair. And beside her, about up to here on her, is this tiny little man who looks like, you know the apple dolls, the dried apple dolls? (laughs) He looks like one of those in a long white galabia and a white turban, and he's holding bells. And Reb Zalman says, now Kindalach, look, I know that most of you are not accustomed to addressing the Ribbona Shalolam in the middle of the afternoon of Yom Kippur as by the name of Allah. I assure you, it is the same one. And when he said that, I knew I could trust him because we know that any real image of the Rebona Shalom, it is the same one. How has this movement influenced Judaism? Because I, I, when I go, uh, and the thing that attracted me, as you said, 
It's not like any other shul. There is tremendous joy. There's a tremendous sense of connectivity. I mean, not like any other shul I've been to. There's uh, incredible music. There's dancing. There's really kind of a sense of meditative practice and, and communal uh, uplifting. How do you see uh, the ideas uh, of the renewal movement of Reb Zalman sort of uh, percolating all over Jewish life today? Boy, I'd like to ask you that question. You get around more. <laughs> Mark, do you want to? Yeah, I mean, it, it's almost like everyone in some sense is responding to the challenge that all of those experiential movements of the late 60s, early 70s, whether it was renewal, whether it was the Chavara movement, whether uh, it was just new nigunim, new melodies coming in, everyone's sort of responding to that because they, they, they proved that it could be fun and joyous. And all of a sudden now, everyone's saying, well, why can't it be that way? One of the challenges, of course, is that it, he was a brilliant leader of that kind of community. He could make a room, he could run a room. And it actually doesn't happen spontaneously. You need people who can run a room. It helps. <laughs> and so the reason we ask you to come here, and this is the big reveal of our surprise, originally uh, is because, I mean, the, the news of the day has given a slightly different meaning to this. Uh, originally, uh, we had asked Eve to join us because this week uh, we marked the Yortzeit, the uh, commemoration of the death of uh, another great wise rabbi, uh, my rabbi, uh, Rabbi Eliezer HaKohen, or Leonard Cohen, as we sometimes refer to him here, mm. uh, who left us this week several years ago. And when we heard the news today, uh, it sounded very fitting that we would sort of say our goodbyes tonight with an anthem. Sheldon, would you kindly join us on stage? Anthem by Leonard Cohen. Which contains, I think, some of the greatest wisdom uh, that this very wise rabbi has ever bestowed on us. The birds they sang at the break of day Start again, I thought I heard them say don't dwell on what has passed away Or what is yet to be The wars, they will be fought again The holy dove, she will be caught again And bought and sold and bought again the dove is never free ring the bells that still can ring forget your perfect offering there is a crack a crack in everything that's how the light gets in we asked for signs the signs were sent the marriage spent the widowhood of every government are signs for all to see and I can run no more with that lawless crowd while killers in high places say their prayers out loud oh but we have summoned up a thundercloud and they will hear from me ring the bells that still can ring forget your perfect offering there is a crack a crack in everything that's how the light gets in. 
have the sun strike up a march although there is no drum every heart to love must come but like a refugee ring the bells that still can ring forget your perfect offering there is a crack a crack in everything that's how the light gets in the light gets in light gets Sheldon Sands. Hallelujah. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. And if you need wiser words of inspiration uh, on a day like today and on any day, have a seat. Join us. You will Stay. find none better. <laughs> so we've met, we've talked to two Jews and a Gentile. We've honored Leonard Cohen on his yard site. Really, Can what we, we need. Can we say a Kaddish for him? What's that? Can we say a Kaddish for him? Well, sure. Absolutely. So anybody who wants to say Kaddish for Leonard Cohen is invited to stand. And anyone who doesn't know what the Kaddish is, the two things you should know. One is it's the prayer that we say in honor of people who have died, close relatives, etc. And the other thing you should know about it is it is entirely a poem of praise. And the thought is that if in honor of the life of someone, so many people are praising God. They must have done something right and should have a lichtige ganeden, a light afterlife. You gonna lead us? All right. All right. Yitkadal vi yitkadash meraba. Amen. Baladiv rachirutevi yam Yehishlama <laughs> Bechayim alenu v'yakod Yisrael v'imru amen. Ose shalom v'imramah. Hu yase shalom alenu v'alkod Yisrael v'alkod Yosvetev. V'imru amen. Thank you. Ah. And now, of course, we finish the episode off with Mazel Tovs from our Denver live show. But before we do, I just want to thank you, the J Crew, the J Coup, for being with us, for supporting us, for listening to us, for writing to us, for calling us, and helping us have another amazing year. We have a ton of great stuff coming to you in 2020, and we can't wait for you to hear it. Shalom, friends. So my Mazel Tov is obviously to Dr. Grayson Armstrong for repairing my father's uh, eye. Well, I thought my Mazel Tov was going to be to my first cousin once removed, Eric Rothfuss, for being the deputy treasurer of Colorado, but I've already mentioned that, and now I don't know what to do. You played that hand already. Um, I want to give you a Mazel Tov, Mark, because you made a crossword puzzle inspired by me, and then you made one for Liel, so it's less special now, but... <laughs> <laughs> There's a clue in it that says Stephanie Zadie, and it, it, the answer is Grandpa Al. And I really thought that was sweet. You're, You're going to be in the next one. We're, we're all good. <laughs> and I was like, we don't call him Zadie. Uh, but you can't call him Grandpa because it's in the, it's in the answer. Grandpa in the clue. Yeah, I know. Liel, do you have a mazel tov? I want to offer my mazel tov to Eve, who, who really helped me uh, tonight. Every time, you know, I, I got to meet Leonard after I wrote a book about him. And he played a tremendous role in helping me understand what to do with, with all those cracks all around us. Um, and you've... You've really, um, you've really helped me transcend tonight, so thank you. 
friends, Javerim, J. Crew, as you, as we call our listeners. Don't sue us. Come to the microphone, say who you are, where you're from, and give us a mazel tov. My name is Phil Sato. I'm from Boulder, Colorado. My mazel tov is for my youngest child, Kate, who recently transferred from college in the Midwest, coming home to CU Boulder, and starts in January as a Jewish studies major. Ooh, mazel tov. Hello, my name is Calista Hammer. I'm originally from Toronto. Calista Hammer from the Facebook group. Yeah. Nice to meet you in person. <laughs> I'd like to give a mazel tov to Nina Fullman and Steve Cohen of New York on their engagement. Oh, mazel tov, Nina and Steve. Hi, I'm Dawn Wolf Spector, originally from Far Rockaway, but now Denver. And I wanted to wish a mazel tov to my beshert, my husband, Mark, who's sitting over there. Uh, we will be celebrating our eighth anniversary on Wednesday. Oh, mazel tov. Wow. My name is Sarah McCune, and I want to wish a mazel tov to my very best friend in the world, uh, Miranda Hilliard, and her lovely husband, Noam Gerber, on the birth of their first daughter, Hannah Danielle. Mazel I feel like I know tov. Miranda Hilliard. Is she Miranda also in the Hilliard. Facebook group? Okay, we took Miranda Hilliard is also active in the Facebook yeah, group. Yeah, we like her. Yes. She's great. It's amazing to learn that Facebook people, like, these <laughs> they, they exist people. in real life. It's, it's amazing. algorithms that are. <laughs> Sir. I'm Ben Gray from Tucson, Arizona. Uh, I got a shout out for Amy who put this festival together, so yes. thanks to Amy. Yes. Um, and also for my friend, Joey Shannon who introduced me to the podcast, who lives in Wellington, New Zealand, and did then as well. Uh, but my mazel tov is for Sarah Rose Tenenbaum, who's sitting up there, who's starting her job, like dream job, for uh, Conservation Colorado a week from Monday. Mazel tov, Sarah Rose. Wow. So she listened to what she heard tonight and right. That's right. <laughs> started that new job. So inspired. Hi, my name is Madeline Clark, and I'm from Denver. And I have a two-part mazel tov, which are actually both just thank yous but that's okay. The first is to Ethan Black, who's in that line over there. This one's <laughs> spontaneous because I actually am an orthodox super fan, have been listening for years, and only know of it because of him. So shout out to Thank you. Thank you from us too. <laughs> and my other one um, is a shout out slash thank you to the people who came with me today which are my gentile best friend my gentile boyfriend and my gentile dad um <laughs> i think it's really special that they care about what i care about and that they came so yeah thank you well, thank you guys <laughs> thank you Everyone needs, like, a, a, a Gentile posse to sort of get their back in life. It's true. Sometimes they find you a wife. Sometimes they just sort of go with you to events. It's really important. Yeah. Hi, there, buddy. Hayden Graham. I'm from L.A. So, two, one is my wife, Sherry Graham. She's in Israel right now on, like, a mom's mission. So I hope she's having a great time, and she's a great mom and wife. And my second one is to you, Mark, like, for all the work you've done, like, for the Tree of Life Synagogue and for all, like, the... Um, the Pittsburgh Jewish co-community there, I would like to thank you for all the work you've done. And I challenge you to buy like a ticket there next time you go there. Oh, movie ticket? a movie in Pittsburgh. The problem is, is that Mark's in Pittsburgh for like 12 hours at a time. He flies in that morning, does his reporting, flies home. That's true. Um, I hope that on the mom's mission to Israel, they get to leave the kids at home. Right. <laughs> right? Like, the mom's mission should be, they get to go to Israel. Our and, like, mission is to get away mud from the kids the dead for two weeks. <laughs> Hi, my name is Elizabeth Daniso, originally from Buffalo, New York, but I've been in Denver for 22 years now. And I would like to wish a mazel tov to my lovely niece, Liana Sadowski, and her fiance, or now fiance, uh, Zion Davidson, uh, who are recently engaged and they're in Jamestown, California. Mazel tov. I dig the name Zion Davidson. It's a very Jewish? strong name. Hi, my name is Ethan Black. Uh, I'd like to wish a mazel tov to my sister, Alana Black, and her fiance, Greg Borofsky, uh, on their recent engagement. Mazel tov. Ethan Black, thank you for, for spreading the gospel of so unorthodox. So much love in the air tonight. Yeah. Hi, my name is Misha Daniso uh, from Denver by boy of Washington, D.C. I'd like to wish a mazel tov to my brother, uh, Chris Daniso, on his engagement and upcoming uh, marriage to Leah Hayworth of... Uh, well, they're now of Massanutten, Virginia. Mazel tov. Yeah, Denver's like a, a Jewish continuity machine. There's yeah. like <laughs> so much marriage. Hi, I'm Gabrielle Kleinwax, and I'm originally from Montgomery County, Maryland, now CU Boulder. And I want to wish Mazel tov first to uh, my cousin Lee, who just got married a couple days ago. And secondly, to myself and all those of my friends uh, who just submitted our first research proposal uh, to the NSF. Mazel tov. <laughs> Yeah, and we owe you a big thank you for hooking us up with uh, the Norse Cowboy. Yeah, who we interviewed last night, who is like, we, we have a serious Gentile of the Week in the, in the can. It's un unbelievable. 
My name is Katie Heisert. Um, I actually just moved here a couple months ago. Two Mazel Tovs, one to the lovely Rothhaus family. Yes. Who uh, I went to college with Liz, <gasps> who's the one sibling who's not here, and they have since adopted me, basically. So I'm part of the Rothhaus family now, sort of. Same. Um, but my, my other Mazel Tov, um, I moved here for a job. I'm a physician, and I take care of people who have cystic fibrosis. And this is a Mazel Tov to the entire community. I don't know if everyone heard in the last two weeks, we have a miracle drug which will treat 90% of patients. So Whoa. <laughs> it's, it's really spectacular and I'm still processing it and can't really quite get over it. So mazel tov to everyone who is gonna benefit from this drug. So Colorado is fixing American politics, curing cystic fibrosis, <laughs> getting everybody married. married. Like, this is amazing. It's maybe the best show we've ever done. Thank you for that. that. <laughs> Since we're talking about the Rothhouses, Barry and Margie drove here from Greeley. That's like a big deal. That's a big deal. Right? So much. That's really nice. So listen. I'm the just Nidus, adding on. <laughs> the night has reached its end. We are so grateful to all of our guests and to all of you, all guests here. Um, but seriously, I just before I, I say the, give the, the closing credits, I really want to thank you. We know that you had many Jewish podcast live events to choose from tonight. Um, <laughs> and that you chose us really means a lot. And I also would say... I also would say that coming out tonight, coming into a Jewish space um, to be together is a profound act of, of Jewish affirmation. And, um, you know, I'm Yisrael Chai, and thank you for being here, and you give us great joy and great pleasure, and um, I will take it with me on the red-eye flight at 11.59 p.m. tonight. Uh, back to JFK, um, and uh, we're just so glad you came out, so thank you. Amen. Um, Unorthodox brought to you by Tablet Magazine. On the web at tabletmag.com. Send your thoughts to unorthodox at tabletmag.com or call our listener line, 914-570-4869. We often come to you live. To book us, you can email producer Josh Cross, J Cross, that's Cross with a K, at tabletmag.com. You should also wear unorthodox. Go to bit.ly slash unortho shirt to find the latest in unorthodox shirts, onesies, uh, hoodies. No human being should be without unorthodox apparel. Follow us on Instagram at Unorthodox Podcast or on Twitter at Unorthodox underscore pod. Join our Facebook group. Our show is produced by Josh Cross. Our associate producer is Sarah Fredman Ader. Our artwork is by Esther Werdiger. Our social media mashkiach is Elazar Abrams. Our theme music is by Golem, online at golemrocks.com. Our mailbox theme is by Steve Barton. Rabbinic supervision by all the collected rabbinic board and va'ad of Greater Denver, but especially my old friend, Rabbi Rick Rohde, who I understand is in the community now. We usually come to you from Argo Studios, but tonight we come to you from the Denver Neustadt Jewish Arts Authors movies and music festival. Shalom, friends. I thought they just asked me to sing. That's the surprise. You have to talk for your singing. Sing for your supper.